everybody welcome back to another episode of bradley's house the podcast i'm watson she's sherlock and today's show is no mystery at all we've got another fun action-packed episode of bradley's house kelly who are we hanging out with today sherlock and watson really all right no, I, I, I applaud your creativity for sure jared Today we have with us a talented singer, songwriter, musician, producer who's worked with some big names in the music business. He's also been very vocal about his struggles with mental health, and I really respect him for that. Please welcome Dylan Garcia to the show. Dylan, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled. So, you know, you're originally from Southern California, right? Yes, I was born and raised in Oxnard, California. Oh, nice. Right on. So you're not too far. Nuh-uh. But I did spend like, spend spend several years in um in Orange County because uh, I went to school at UC Irvine. Oh, right on. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. not too far from me. Very cool. And did you have a, grow up in a big family? Uh, I got. I have um, my younger brother. He's uh, we're about four and a half years apart, and my baby sister was 15, we're fifteen years apart. Right on. Are they musical as well? No, just me. I'm the only one in the family that picked up an instrument. Really? None of your parents yeah. or anything? Uh, no. I mean, my dad had a really awesome um, uh, record collection when I was young. Uh, uh, that's kind of how I was in- introduced to music was, um, you know, I used to mess around and um, I used to get the thermometer when I was a kid and put it on the, the light bulb when my mom, my dad told my mom I had <laughs> felt sick and I used to get the thermometer and then put it on the light bulb so I could miss school just so I could listen to records all day. Nice. There was a couple times my mom, there was a couple times though it was funny because like, you know what I mean? I left the thermometer on the, the light bulb too long. So I put it back <laughs> in my mouth. My comes in, my mom comes in and it says like I'm at 107 degree fever, you know? <laughs> you end up in the hospital. That's yeah, I was just saying, mom, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Just put an ice pack on my head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish someone had told me about the thermometer and the light bulb thing when I was a kid. I, I might have invented it because nobody, no, I had no, <laughs> nobody showed me. It was just like common sense. You know, you test the light bulb, it gets hot. And, you know, sometimes I just didn't want to feel like going to school. You know, I wanted to do other things. Brilliant. I love it. And then when did you start playing music? I started, um, well, when I was in uh, junior high school, uh, I enrolled in, um, in band class and I played saxophone and that was in um, eighth grade, but I was also in singing too. I was in chorus. I was in chorus in seventh grade and then I played saxophone in eighth grade. So that's kind of, that's how I, you know, I always enjoyed singing. Um, But see the the thing was in like that chorus class, you know, I was a seventh grader and, and, and our teacher had like her, she wanted me to do all these lead roles. But then, I mean, when you're at that age and you're at junior high school, you know, you're, you're coming into that time when you want to feel like you're cool and you don't want to get made fun of by the older people. So mm. I ended up getting kicked out of the class because I refused to do the lead parts. And oh mom wasn't too happy. yeah, mom wasn't too happy about that. 
Yeah, moms are never happy about that. They're picking on me. Moms are picking on me. Like, don't you get it? You know? And I mean, it wasn't, it was like we were singing Disney songs. So it's like the the teacher wanted Miss, um, Miss Fuller. She wanted me to do like the Aladdin solo parts. And I'm like, really? Like, I'm dark. I'm kind of short. You know, people are calling me Aladdin now. Like, this isn't cool. Not okay. Real nice, Miss Fuller. You've been put on blast here on Bradley's house. Look what you did to poor Dylan. (laughs) <laughs> not appreciated mrs fuller now i have to ask you about this because your instagram bio says native american surf rocker with a reggae latino twist that is such a fabulous combination of things tell us about some of your influences uh well growing up you know i i listened to a lot of um el chicano they were like uh-huh. a 70 a 70s uh soul band they were um and they were really about at that time you know the chicano movement was really big and my dad was kind of involved like heavily heavily involved in that stuff when i was young so those were the kind of records around the house but i mean he had like a 12 inch record of sade he had mm. uh santana um wow. and he also he loved the funk so he had like um god what are the what is their name um he listened to a lot of funk music too. So when we were, when I was growing up, you know, I, every Friday it was when we would wash the cars together and he'd always, there was a radio that, you know, the KCSB, the radio station out at UC Santa Barbara, they had this yeah. like old, they had this old school, like radio show that would come on at five o'clock on Friday. So we were always tuned into that religiously, like just waiting to see what old school gems got played. Nice. Yeah. You know, I think parents can have so much, um, a positive impact on their kids by introducing them to different kinds of music at a young age. Yeah. And I think it's so powerful. I know I've done that. I have two boys. They're good grief. How do they know? Almost 23. And one just turned 18 and music has always been a big part of our family. So it was always playing. And, and for the longest time until they became teenagers, everything they listened to were the things that I listened to, which was fabulous. Right. But then they yeah. started getting their own, musical styles and introducing me to music and it just it just gave it a whole new twist and it's just so much fun that's like the coolest part i think about music is the introduction when you get introduced to a new new sound a new artist a new style of music and it just it captivates you i mean i'll tell you so we were ditching high school and i was ditching high school with my junior year and i wasn't driving yet but a guy in my baseball team had a car and we were all ditching to go to the beach and go get burritos down in silver strand and that was the very <laughs> first time i had ever heard sublime I really he, i was in the back seat of the car and he's playing he's like it was this uh, this has got to be like i want to say 1997 maybe 1990 oh, wow. and um the music came on and i was just like what is this like i've never heard anything like this in my life you know and um you know coming from a latino family i wasn't exposed to much reggae music or just any 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 style of music besides you know what we have on the urban radio station here in oxnard um Mm -hmm. so that was just like it blew my mind because we were headed to the beach we were going to get burritos and i think he was playing like santeria and i was just like wait a minute what is going on right now and it was like, who is this? And they're like, you don't know who Sublime is? And I'm like, no. <laughs> they definitely would in- encapsulate a lot of those similar influences that you have as far as surf rocker with a reggae Latino twist. I mean, they yeah. they really had all that for sure. Definitely, definitely. Like that. So I bought, I, when I started playing guitar, I had, 
I was 19 years old. I was um, a sophomore at UC Irvine. I came home from uh, from school for like a week during Christmas break because I still had a job out in Orange County that I, I couldn't stay at home the whole time. And with my folks and uh, the girl that I was dating, you know, my first real love in life in college, you know, being out on my own, she dumped me on New Year's Eve. And uh, no. and so I call my buddy, I call my buddy who was in a band and I was like, dude, I want to go get a guitar. And we went to the guitar center. A guitar center had just opened up like grand opening in Oxnard. And that's when I bought my guitar. It was a Takamini. And, and all I wanted to do was learn how to play guitar to write, you know, sad songs about being brokenhearted and be all emo <laughs> about it. Emo At that time, emo was really popping off. You know, emo music was really yeah. popping off at that time. And, uh, and so my roommate in college, he was always, he would always go home all the time because he lived pretty close. And so I was spend a lot of time in the dorm by myself. And the very first song that I learned to play and the song that was like, that I wanted to play was Batfish. And, nice. and that was like, that was the thing, you know, there was like a scene, there was like kind of the scene was kind of exploding at that time. I think at that time in college, I want to say around in the year 2000 and 2001 and, and I was there was like so much music, and it was like when Napster was Napster was like a a big deal, and oh yeah, and you could download, you know, leave your your computer downloading while you're in class, all kinds of music, and <laughs> I got exposed to so much, like uh, the Get Up Kids, uh, Saves the Day, um, like there was these bands, Phoenix TX, like all these bands that were just really blowing up, and that was really what captivated me at that time in my life, and. That, that And that's when I was learning to play guitar. And I, I feel like there was just such great music all coming out around that time. Like, you know, and, and it was a, it was a major influence. You know, I also learned how to play the Foo Fighters Everlong and, mm. and, and I, I was learning how to play a lot of Saves the Day songs, but at the same time I was writing my own music and um, a girl, you know, my ex-girlfriend back then said, you know, you, you, you you don't have I can't fit your music into any kind of genre. We j we'll just call it able music. You know, my name, my given name is able mm -hmm. and we'll just call it able music. And it kind of just went from that. No one really taught me how to play guitar. It's just it was just something I wanted to do. You know, and I mean, now that I look back, I just I would have never thought that this is like if you would have told me back then that this was how my life was going to turn out, I would have never believed it. You know, because I played sports, I played baseball, I played baseball in college, um, you know, and then but at that time is when I started surfing. And when I started surfing, that just opened up a whole new thing because I was kind of over playing baseball already. And it was more like, man, I'd rather go to the beach and surf than want to go to baseball practice. And sure. having that, having that outlet, you know, um, just you and mother nature in the ocean, having that outlet when you're not in it and you're not doing it competitively, you're only, you're only competed against yourself or, or mother nature. You know, that was a really, a really big release for me because there was so much pressure put on me by my father to be a really good baseball player. And mm. that was like my first, my first sign of rebellion, you know, when I first started surfing. <laughs> Do you ever play much baseball anymore? You know what? So I, I ended up, um, t I ended up tearing my rotator cuff in while I was playing Ouch. in college and I had a surgery. Ooh. It was one of the, one of the D Los Angeles Dodgers orthopedic surgeons had done the surgery on my shoulder so I could go back and play. And I was all set up to go and play once I transferred to Irvine. But I, after the, 
the the recovery from surgeries are so tough. And the, and I was just yeah. like, man, baseball, you I was more pissed off that I couldn't go surfing, you know, because my <laughs> shoulder. And it's funny, I was doing physical therapy and the, the I had I had just brought it up one because I missed surfing. I was had been out of the water maybe for like six weeks. And I had asked the the physical therapist, I said, Hey, do you think I could start swimming now? He said, yeah, you could, you could definitely start swimming. So I took that as to hey, I can go back in the ocean again. <laughs> nice. That's all you need and, to hear. That's all I needed to hear to get back in business. And I mean, I remember the day I went surfing with all me and all my friends. It was a solid day at Wainimi Pier and I was pulling into barrels and my mm. my shoulder didn't feel 100 percent. But I knew at that point I ain't going back ever to play baseball. <laughs> it's tough to compete when you got the ocean and the water and the sand. I mean, can't beat it. I was at a, the beach. I, yeah. was at, I was racing from the beach to to make it with you guys like. <laughs> it was like it was like 5 15 and i'm like oh I was, I was with my dog and i said okay we gotta go we gotta get home i gotta shower i gotta get ready for this interview but just that one that one little stoke of the sun and sand yeah. on your feet and the, you know I, uh, the the tide was coming in so i went in the water like just you know got my feet wet but a wave came wet all my shorts and i was like yeah okay <laughs> yeah this is this was so worth it this was so right worth it. it's a good yeah. attitude adjustment definitely yeah. No, my grandparents talked. used to live, I'm sorry to interrupt. My no, grandparents go ahead, used go to ahead. live in Oxnard um, at Hollywood Beach. Ah, yeah. Yeah. My dad built a house up there for them and they lived there for gosh, quite a while. Uh, such a beautiful spot. Great beach. It's beautiful up here. It's beautiful up here. Like there's, there's times like I, I divide my time as much as I can from here in Oxnard and out in the desert. And I, I try mm. to have try to keep that balance because there's something about the desert that that really brings a whole different edge. I know it's warm, so you're feeling on a whole other kind of vibrational because it's so warm. But just like out in the desert, you have the mountains and just like it's mm. just when every time I go there, I'm just in awe of like of how beautiful it is. And it's really quiet. And I really feel like the the creative juices turn on when I'm out there. Yeah, it's a magical place. Where do you go? Yeah. Uh, well, I usually stay in Palm Desert. Uh, my son, he lives in La Quinta. So that's his town oh. right over from Palm yeah. Desert. And uh, I, if I go to Palm Desert, I usually bring my studio with me and I'll just I'll start tracking in the hotel room or I'm working with Ronnie King out at his place. Ah, and that brings us to Ronnie King. We He was just on our show a couple of weeks ago. Great guy. Saw that. Yeah. So yes. Ronnie, Ronnie's been like, so, okay. So I was living in 2009. I was living in Orange County. I was living in Newport beach. As a matter of fact, I was working, I had a job, I was working and um, I had just moved back out there from Oxnard. So this is years after I graduated college and I got offered this job, you know, to move. He said he'd relocate me and, and do this job. And I, I was already playing shows acoustic out here in Oxnard by the beach at the bars and doing stuff like that. But I told my cousin, I said, watch, I'm going to move to Orange County. I'm going to form a band and we're going to get a record deal. And so I had this whole mentality when I moved out there. So I was playing music, playing shows like in Huntington Beach and and, uh, and down at like Gallagher's. Is that what it's called? Gallagher's? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gallagher's. Playing shows there. And I had met somebody had found my music on MySpace and introduced me to basically all the players that were doing this, the live music scene at that time. And and uh, he had mentioned, you know, hey, there's this guy, Ronnie King. You should look him up. Why don't you try to set a meeting? 
And so I called the studio and I was like, Hey, can you, can I, I want to meet Ronnie. Can we set up a, a, a meeting? And, um, so when I was on my way to meet Ronnie, I was listening to a song by Tupac and John B called, are you still down? And I swear to God, this is the honest to God truth. I was on my way to meet him. I was listening to that song rewinding on a cassette down a dub cassette tape to go meet him. And so when I got to the recording studio and I walked into the studio, there's the platinum multi-platinum plaque <laughs> for that exact same record that I was listening to. That's crazy. And I was just like, wait a minute, this is some weird, this is, this is weird. What's going on right now? Like I, I, I was trying to comprehend like, okay, wait a minute. Like I, I'm listening. Like <laughs> what, like I can't put it into words. Like, wait a minute, what's happening, you know? And, and uh, I, I'm in the studio. I'm waiting for Ronnie. Ronnie comes out of this office, out of one of the office rooms and he comes out and, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, are you Ronnie? Are you Ronnie King? You know, Ronnie. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm Ronnie. Why? What's up, dude? You know, like calm down. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't understand, dude. I'm listening to this song right now. And he plays it cool, you know, typical producer playing it cool. Uh, nah, man, what are you talking about? No one listens to music from the nineties anymore. <laughs> and, uh, I have him come to my, my truck and I, I played, I played the, I played, I turned on the car and I was played the music. The music was already playing. And he, that's when he had that aha moment. Like, mm. wait a minute, who are you, dude? Like, and I'm like, man, I, he's like, where are you from? I said, you know, I tell him the same story. I'm from Oxnard. And he's like, dude, I know all the locals in Oxnard. I work with, I work in the hood with all the rappers. And, nice. and he had, he had knew some, some other, other local rappers that I had knew. And that was kind of like, that's how we hit it off. From that, uh -huh. from just setting up a meeting to fate happening like that, and that's 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 such that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it was just meant to be. Yeah. And since then, you've worked with quite a few other big names, some uh, Latin Grammy winning producers, and yeah, Kenny, uh, Kenny guitarist from Steel Pulse. I mean, you've yeah. really had an opportunity to work with some great people. Yeah, it, it's um, you know definitely. Um, it definitely has been a been a blessing for for the opportunities. You know, that I think I think a lot of it had to be at being at the right place at the right time. You know, and um, and and you know, God. I mean, I, of these, these these events. I mean, it's it's kind of weird now because that one meeting with Ronnie has kind of orchestrated the way my my music career up to this day. You know, because Ronnie's always been my go to guy and. I mean, we're, we're friends, we're brothers, like my go-to guy when it comes to like things about life or things about music or, or asking questions about what's going on in, in my career with other people and what I should do. And Ronnie's always been a stand-up guy with me, man. He's, he's definitely been one of the biggest blessings to my music career. That's fantastic. He's a great guy. He was so much fun to talk with. And it's, he's one of those people where the longer you talk with him, the more you realize how amazing he is. <laughs> like I started out <laughs> being impressed and the longer we talked by the end, I was just like, wow, that was, that was really cool. He's a great guy. Yeah. Good dude. Good dude. Now, What's up, Ronnie? <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things you've been vocal about is mental health. And we talk a lot about uh, obviously addiction and recovery on this show because we're, yeah. you know, we're here to, to raise awareness and to raise funding for Bradley's house. And, I, mental health really often goes hand in hand with addiction. So um, I think it's an important subject. And I think it's something that a lot of people listening can really relate to. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about that? 
yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Open book, open book about it. Um, so it's like, I was having, you know, ever since I was little, you know, I've used to, you know, now that I understand it, as I'm older, I was really uh, OCD about a lot of things, you know, just certain things that you, that I would do these little, these little quirks, I would call them, you know, like I knew they weren't normal, but it was just whatever I had to do to make myself feel better. You know, like, um, I'll give you an example. So like being a kid, you know, when I turn off the light in my room, like I would leave my finger on the on the light switch and hold it down and tell myself it's off, it's off, it's off, it's off, it's off. And then about after 10 times, I'm like, OK, yeah, it's off. I can go on my way. And so that was I, I know that wasn't normal stuff. Yeah. Uh, but as I got older and when I went away to school, I think um, being on my own and experiencing life like that, getting out of the house, um, I think like what really triggered it was around the time when I had finished college, um, there was some traumatic things that had happened in my life and my family. Uh, and really, really, I think that's was like the trigger of when I would start having these things. So when I was, I had already graduated, I was living in Laguna beach. I was at a good job. I was working in the mortgage industry, you know, I was still playing music. It wasn't, ser- you know, music wasn't serious at that time. It was just, you know, just play jam and play guitar. Uh, but, um, my brother had ran away and my brother was having difficulties as he was growing up, you know, through mm-hmm. high school. And, uh, I get a phone call, you know, and be in mind, you know, I'm, I'm, I was 22 years old. I was living on my own. I had a really good job. I had, you know, money in the bank, like everything was going solid. And, uh, you know, I get thrown this curveball, and it happened a couple of times, you know, my dad would call me and say, Hey, your brother tried to hurt himself, you know, talk to him. Uh, but this was the ultimate when he ran away and, uh, you know, my parents, my parents were afraid and they called me to help look for him, you know, call his friends, try to help us. We don't know what to do. And, you know, me being the type of person that I am, you know, I dropped everything so I could find my brother because that's, that's my little bro. You know, you don't want to see your siblings go through stuff like that. And, um, I was trying to convince him when I got him on the phone, I was trying to convince him that if he moved to orange County, that he could live with me, you know, he could start over. He would be out of, you know, my parents were tough on us as kids, you know, and, and he could move out of the house. He could start his life over. Uh, and he, when he finally agreed to it, so I dropped everything. I left work. I'm driving from Aliso Viejo racing to get back to Oxnard. And then I get a phone call from his friend that, you know, your brother slid his wrist. He took a bunch of pills. Oh my his gosh. friend's freaking out because he's bleeding all over the house of his friend's oh house. And, gosh. and that was just, that hit me. I think I had just, I think that hit me right when I was, I, I think it was like when I was passing where the Goodyear blimp is on the 405. Yeah. By the 110. Yeah. (laughs) And and so at that point, I'm just like, I I was devastated, you know, because my brother had promised me that he wouldn't do anything. And I was, and you know, I put my job, put everything on the line. I dropped everything just so I could be there for my brother. And, um, you know, when I showed up at the hospital, it was, I mean, I, I didn't know the extent, like how, you know, my brother had, you know, cut his wrist and, but nothing to this extent. So when I went back in the emergency room to go see him, like it was, it was traumatizing, you know, he's bleeding out of his arms and he's vomiting all this black stuff because, you know, they're trying to get it, you know, trying to clean his system. Yeah. And I just, it was a very lot. It was a lot to take in because I was only 22, you know, and, and wow. you're still young, you're still developing your mind. And it was just like, I was just so wasn't disappointed. I was just traumatized because I was just to see my brother in that state. And it was really, yeah. 
that moment like really changed the course of my entire life. Like, because then, you know, my job fired me because I just dropped the ball and just left. I didn't really tell him what was going on. Like, I mean, I'm not going to tell my boss, Hey, my brother's trying to kill himself. I got to go, you know? Right. You know? right. And, and so it ended up like, it ended up like, like that one good deed trying to help my brother. And it felt like it like backfired. Cause there was just so many, so many terrible things that came afterwards and all, all at the same time while I'm trying to process what I saw. And, and so I call my bro, my cousin uh, who was living in Kauai at the time. And I, you know, I explained to him what's going on. And he said, well, dude, if you want to come out here, you can come out here, you know? And um, so I, I did this on a whim and I, I kind of still consider these are, this was some of my bipolar tendencies to make life changing decisions on a whim without thinking about the consequences. So I sold everything, uh, bought a one-way ticket to Kauai and had my just my my bodyboard my my guitar and and that was about it you know and um i stayed with him and and all of a sudden you know it's like oh abel's gone crazy you know he just left to hawaii and and there was no there was never any any grieving i don't want to say grieving there was never any time to process what had happened Mm, with my brother you know it was just kind of like oh it happened forget about it you know Mm. and um it really, it really affected me because, you know, they say, you know, and, and it, I don't know if it's a hundred percent proven, but they say traumatic things like that can really alter, alter your mind. You know, Absolutely. I mean, you're trying to go to sleep and I'm seeing my, bro- you know, I'm having these visions of my brother in the hospital and it was just, it was very chaotic. And I thought going to Kauai would fix everything. And it did. It really helped heal my soul because I was just jamming at the uh, jabbing my guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. I was on the west side where it was windy. So I would just jam on the guitar and, and watch the kite surfers do their thing, the wind surfers and um, really get peace of mind. Um, but it, I kind of felt like I overextended my stay and it was time to come back to reality. But at that point, I, I had lost my apartment you know i didn't pay my rent i just left um you know i did a lot of very unresponsible things you know and and irresponsible things and and i had to start over so i was back living with my parents um you know i had gotten a job and and it just seemed like i was always making these like life-changing decisions at the moment when i knew that that it i knew i was gonna have to face the consequences but it was like i don't care i'm gonna do it anyways you know, and as I as I got older in around 2005, 2006 was when I really started having these like crazy like episodes, um, these like episodes, these, like these bouts of like huge paranoia, like just really like feeling really, really out of sync with myself. And, um, you know, they would go away on their own. And it wasn't until around the time when I met Ronnie fast forward, you know, in 09 that, um, you know, I hadn't dealt with it for a while. I was really good. But then after I was worked with Ronnie and then I signed the record deal, like I got offered a record deal after just cutting one song with Ronnie and, um, you know, I signed the record deal and then, you know, um, I just, I don't know what happened. I don't think anything triggered it. I don't, I don't think, you know, cause I was doing really good, but, I just don't know what happened. My mind just started slipping out away from under me. And, you know, um, God, it was October 5th when I was finally hospitalized for when I found out that something, you know, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't Mm. tell anybody about it. You know, this was like something I just kept in my kept inside. I thought everyone dealt with it. And it wasn't until I landed in a mental hospital when it was just like, whoa, something's something's wrong. 
your wake up call. And and it wasn't like it, it felt like when I finally got a diagnosis, when they finally got diagnosed, it seemed like I got answers finally to what the hell was going on. What was wrong with me awesome. for so many years? Like I had been dealing with it and I'm talking about the childhood, but these like episodes that I was going through these, these really like uh psych psychosis is what they call right. it. Um, you know, that was going on for about 10 years untreated. And I just, I never told anybody about it, you know, cause I thought I would freak somebody out or, or someone it's just stuff like that. I mean, most of the time you're scared to even speak up. Absolutely. No, it, it, I think we have this, there's definitely a stigma in our society that we should be able to handle anything that comes our way and, you know, just kind of figure it out and be self-sufficient. But, you know, as you said, sometimes when it's like things just aren't making sense anymore and, you know, it, it's good. I, I'm so glad you finally were able to get some help because I would imagine it's made a huge difference. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's what, so that, so what's, see, there was, it was trial and error, you know, like it was like, tr- you know, they were trying to find the right meds that would work with me. It was really trial right. and error. I mean, it was like a, a trial and error period for, I mean, up until, I would say uh, but until 20, 2018, 2019, it was really trial and error trying to get it right. It wasn't until I finally got a doctor who really was hands on with me. Like, you know, he pushed me. He's like, dude, you got this music career. You got things going for you. And like, I don't want you to just end up being a guy on the couch. Right. Right. And getting that extra push, especially coming from a medical doctor was, was really was the biggest push that I could get like where he's telling me like, dude, you can get better. Like you don't understand, like you can take back control of your life. And, you know, thankfully by the grace of God, you know, I was, I was able to, and I I have that much, that, that strength in me to want to be better and want to be at my best, you know? That's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's so awesome to have people come on and share these stories. And um, I I think when I hear them, one of the things that I take away is that uh, people that have reached out and been able to get help and, and find out what is going on and, and, and find a way to get a hold of it. uh, They always say that they wish that they've done it sooner. Um, And, you know, that's one of the messages for the people that are listening. It's, you know, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say something's wrong. Kelly, you said it a million times. It's okay to not be okay. Um, But the important thing is, is to, is to address it and not just with mental health, but anything in life. You know, you talked about leaving your apartment and everything. It's one thing that I always had drilled into me are big problems are really just small problems that we chose to ignore. And, mm. um, wow. and I think, and I think that, you know, the sooner you address something and, and take care of it is the, the opportunity to eliminate those big problems from, from coming to, into play. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now, music's always been really important to me. It's always, There's always been certain songs that have just grabbed me and I've almost lived like my life after. Um, it, not Fat Bottom Girls. Don't, don't believe the rumors. <laughs> Um, but, uh, there's been, there's been a lot of songs throughout life that is really, uh, that have really meant a lot to me. And a quote that I use a lot in my everyday life, um, is that you can stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't back down. That's Mm. a song that when I hear it, I feel it. Mm. You did a, a pretty awesome rendition of that song, correct? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, that, um. 
wow, you kind of you, you kind of hit me where like you hit me in the chest with that one when you, you say when you when you said that line when you said that line from Tom Petty, man, that song. Um, I had been wanting to learn how to play that song since about 2014. And, um, you know, I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not the best guitarist. I'm, I can't like listen to a song and just pick up the guitar and already know what I'm playing. Um, you know, but I had decided I wanted to do that as a cover. And I reached out to Jaden Secor. He's a young kid that I, that I write music with and I play live with. And, um, he just showed me how to play it. And I'm like, can you show me how to do it as a bar chords? And he showed me. And then all of a sudden I just started playing those chords, like the kitchen, kitchen. And next thing I know, I'm like, Hey, Hey, we can do like a totally complete version of won't back down. Uh, I threw the hip hop. I threw a hip hop uh, sample as for the drums. And yeah, man, that song is, is that song is like iconic to me as a person because, you know, the, in a period of time from 2010 to, I would say, to about 2017, so about seven years, you know, the, one, of the, one of the ways that I coped with, with my mental illness was by drinking. Mm -hmm. Because I was never a heavy drinker before. But once it started getting you know, having drinks, you know, beers every day and, and, and stuff like that. I started to really feel like, Hey, I can mask this. I, this thing, these things I deal with in my mind don't come up if I'm, if I'm drinking, you know? So it was like, I was, I was, uh, I was, what, what's the word? I want to say, me I guess you could say medicating or self-medicating self -medicating with alcohol, because mm -hmm. like I said, the medications weren't working. Right. And, and, um, you know, it, it got it got pretty it got pretty bad where it was like to a point where I was rescheduling and rearranging my whole day just so I could drink. Or if mm -hmm. I got home, I had to make sure I had alcohol at home. Like or how I always had to have this. I always had to make sure that I never ran out. Mm -hmm. And and um, that song, you know, I would listen to that song sometimes and sometimes it would just it would. And it was I wasn't not watching the video, but just listening to the auto, that song, the words were just so powerful to me. Like it would bring tears to my eyes because it was a lot of times where I'm like looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Like, why am I drinking so much? Like, what is going on? And it was like, man, this mental illness really, really made me tap out for a little bit because, you know, I was such such an alcoholic you know, that it was, it was depressing because it's like, man, I've, I've done so much with my life. I went to school. I've, I've done so many positive things. And now I'm just turning into a drunk. Like it's, I'm like, it's like my dad would say, don't waste your talent. You know, and when right. I listened to that song, it was just, it was like, ah, you know, like, you know, I won't back down and you feel like, you know, and then that song, you really, you really feel like you're, you're that character, like, man, like, you know, I'm being stood up, stood up at the gates of hell, but I ain't gonna back down, you know, like, like, but it, it's another, it's another thing, like, where you don't play with it, you don't, you don't, you don't play with that kind of stuff, because, because you can make a lot of decisions in an instant that can cost you everything, and, th and that I know, and because that song really gave me the hope that I needed to push on and, and doing a cover of it and, and it being, and it doing so well resonating with people. Like people tell me, I love your version more than the original, you know, it's like to get that, that to me, 
was like, okay, I had to go through all that stuff in that period of time where I could get to the point in my life where I could finally do this song. And now this is like my motto. This is going to be the motto that I stand for, that I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to cave to, to my alcohol addiction. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cave into these things. I'm going to keep on fighting. And that's why it meant so much to me. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to point out to you that again, a song, because uh, again, it's a song that's always meant a lot to me. Um, And uh, when I hear you perform it, you're not playing a song, you're telling a story and and you can tell that, you know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that, that play that song and because it's a, it's a popular Tom Petty song and in the local, the local bar or wherever they're playing, they get some toes tapping. But when you play it, you can hear that you're telling a story and, and not singing a song. And, uh, and it was a really powerful video that you put together for that as well. Um, paying tribute to to your community i guess it looked like could you tell me a little bit about the the uh, what made you go that direction with the video uh we were it was my publicist at the time idea that it would be good for for the, the time the timing of where we're at as a world and as a society like the timing of doing that video is perfect and i really I really wanted to pay tribute to Latinos that I've looked up to in my life because, you know, in the Latino community, I, we ain't got too many heroes. You know, we don't have too many heroes. And, and the people that I that I chose to, to, to be to be put in that video were were people that 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 were iconic that made things happen and i feel like there's certain latinos that they did something and they fought for something so i would be able to have opportunities like i'm having now talking to you uh playing music and being able to have success because i mean a lot of latinos get left in the dark and and um you know i just wanted to i wanted to pay tribute i wanted to pay tribute to mi gente you know i wanted to to pay tribute to to my culture, because in the end of the day, my culture is very important to me. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing video and it's just, it's an amazing song. And like I said, one that uh, has always been important to me. I mean, there's times, you know, recently uh, with some of the crazy stuff that we've been going through with the pandemic and, and, and in my own personal life that Anna would send me a text message and say, oh my God, what are you going to do? And I would just send back the gates of hell, babe. Don't, don't worry. You know, yeah. the gates of hell. I'm not, it, I'm, not I'm gonna figure this out. Um, so I hate to, you have so much amazing, uh, original music on your YouTube page. Uh, I hate to bring up uh, somebody else's song, but, uh, just something that, you know, I could connect to with because, uh, with you because it just, uh, <clears throat> I could tell the song meant a lot to you like it does to me. And, you know, the day that it came out was the day exactly was as exactly 11 years to the exact day on that Friday when I was released from that mental hospital. And I didn't plan that. Oh, wow. It just, it just was like, when I started looking at the calendar, when we were going to put it out, I was like, you know, because October, October was when I was hospitalized and October's always kind of been a, I want to say a, a doom month, but I'm always reminded when October 5th comes around, it's like, and that's my mom's birthday too. I was admitted to the hospital on my mom's birthday. Um, was like October was always, always been a heavy month to me. You know, it always seemed like there was always life changing things going on in October. And the fact that 
that it was like, wait a minute, this is exactly, a, you know, I got out on a Friday. It was, I, I believe, October 9th. And that's when the song came out, Marlo Stop. Uh, that's when the song, hey, killer. He's a little dog. He's a little dog. But that, that, but it ended up falling all on the same on the same day, and it was just like, wait a minute, how trippy is this that I'm putting this song out on the day that I got out of the hospital? Because when I got out of the hospital in '09, I ended up opening up the show um, at the House of Blues, and I, I think I opened up for Seedless. Um, David Elisiri was in another band at that time; they were the headliners. And I mean, I came out of the hospital like feeling good, being medicated, like performing at the house of blues a couple days later, right after I got out of the hospital. So that, that just, that, that era, that timing of that song and the, and, and the whole vibe of October, it really came around. I want to say that word again, full circle, because now I'm putting up, a, putting out this song where I didn't back down or give up to the trials that I had to face. And, and especially getting over the, getting through, you know, powering through with this mental illness that I got. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that everybody's going to go and check out I Won't Back Down Now at Dylan <laughs> Garcia Music on YouTube, right? So they're going to go check out that song. Now, after they're done with that, they're going to love it, and they're going to say, you know what? I want to check out one more. Dylan, what's one more song? And I know it's tough because I know they're all your babies, but after they hear that and they're going to check out one more to try to get hooked, what what song should they be looking for? Uh, they should be looking for... Um well, whether they speak English or Spanish, because I did both songs. I did I did a version in English and in Spanish. I definitely think they'd be looking for It's a Beautiful Day or Hermoso Dia. Okay, perfect. So, uh, because again, we have a lot of listeners that specifically yeah. are, are looking for that new music and something fresh. And uh, and like I said, when I, when I saw you did a version of I Won't Back Down, I, I had to click on it. And um, wow, your sound is just, uh, it's amazing. It's really clean and it's a, it's a really fun way to present that song. And I started jumping through your catalog a little bit more and uh, it, it's just, it, it's, the way that you describe yourself in the bio is is kind of how your music comes off. It's a little bit of everything, and uh, it's uh, it's a nice buffet of music. So I think our listeners will will really enjoy that. Now, um, go ahead. This is an opportunity right here for all the listeners that are looking for that new fun artist to get into. Where can they check out all your stuff? Plug everything. Where are you playing? What's your website? Can they buy T-shirts? Give it to them. Yes. Yeah, so uh, for my music. And you could just go to DylanGarciaMusic.com. It's got all the links. It's Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, like Bob Dylan, DylanGarciaMusic.com. It's got all the links to all my socials, got links to the music, Spotify, iTunes. Everything's on that page. I had just opened a online e-commerce store selling the clothing line that I had began, that I began. My, my uh, clothing company is called Koala Drive. We got a cool looking uh, koala bear on a surfboard surfing. We just got a bunch of hats in. The website just went live. It's thekoaladrive.com. Thekoaladrive.com. Just open that up. Um, also, if you want to follow me on, on Instagram, Dylan Garcia Music, uh, on tomorrow, actually, I have a brand new record coming out called It's a Vibe. That record was produced by Ronnie King and Tony G. We did that out in the desert about a month and a half ago. It's already been on four different radio stations. It's getting picked up by radio right now. And that is dropping at 9 p.m. tomorrow if you're on the West Coast, midnight on the East Coast. That's dropping everywhere. 
And we're having a release party tomorrow night at Leashless Brewing in beautiful downtown Ventura from 6.30 to 8.30. Awesome. So by the time this episode airs, your single will have already come out. So definitely encourage people to go check that out. I it's have a heard, vibe. Yeah, it's a vibe. There you go. I've heard it. It's really great. You did an awesome job with it. Thank you. Well, thank you thank so much you. for being on the show with us. This has been a lot yeah, of fun getting is, to know you. This is really cool. I'd love to come back on and sometime in the future. Um, you know, I would love, love next time in next time in Orange next time I'm in Orange County, maybe link up with you guys in person. We can talk and share stories, whatever. It'd be really great. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help you guys with the Noel Family Foundation or Bradley's house, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I would love to help you guys as much as you guys as much as I can because uh, you know, Brad Knoll's music sublime. And I think everything that you guys are doing right now, you guys are bringing a positive message to the music community. And I think what you're doing is great and you guys are doing great things. So keep it up because we need more people like you in the music business and helping people. Thank you. Thank you. He's so talking much. about that you, Kelly. Lot. I just tell dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh this has been absolutely awesome, man. And uh I I love that you came on and shared your story and uh, I always get excited every time we get an opportunity to uh to introduce somebody to our fans that maybe they haven't had a chance to get caught up with. So, um you know, you're you're doing some amazing music. So, I really uh, I hope everybody goes ahead and checks you out and plays some of those songs cuz they're just the, they're those fun feel good kind of songs, right? It's it's tough yeah. not to it's tough not to feel good when you're listening to it. So, yeah, uh, thank you for sharing with us, man. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. This was so awesome. I love you guys. Thank you. Now, to keep the tradition with Bradley's House podcast, of course, we're going to end you guys out with an amazing song. And to introduce his own song is Dylan Garcia. Dylan, what are we going to be listening to? Hey, you guys are going to be listening to my brand new single that dropped, that is dropping on July 2nd. Everywhere, just go to DylanGarciaMusic.com. And the song is called It's a Vibe. Levantense Levantense
captivated by the beautiful scene Yeah, we making love to the ocean breeze Levantense And we watch the sunrise, it reflects up your eyes You're so beautiful, baby, yeah, I'm hypnotized I can't let you go 